I know you've got a little life in you left. I know you've got a lot of strength left. I know you've got a little life in you left. I should be crying, but I just can't let it show. I should be hoping, but I can't stop thinking. All the things we should have said that are never said. All the things we should have done that we never did. All the things we should have given, but I didn't. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to queer pirates and our flag means death. Yar. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Sarah. I am joined by my bubbly, rarely bubbly, but today very enthusiastic co-host. Don't fall out of your chair, Robin. Sorry, I always fell out. Yes. Hello. What's giving you a fuck yeah right now, Robin? Well, this is giving me a fuck yeah. I actually spent a fair amount of time doing research. I did like, Ooh. I basically did homework where I have a whole like semi-thesis written out. I'm just really, <laughs> I, the most common question for me right now is, have you seen Our Flag Means Death? And most of the time people haven't seen it. So I love that you love the show and that we're able to share it. And that we're going to spend some time like diving deep into it. I have so many thoughts and theories about this show. And I I have learned a lot about the history of pirates, which is very exciting, more exciting than you might think. So I'm so excited for this show. And I just want to say right now, spoilers, 100% spoilers. If, if you have not watched Our Flag Means Death, I don't recommend it for everybody because it has some gory ish violence it's all comedy violence but if you're a little squeamish around that it may not be the right show and maybe the comedy doesn't line up for everybody but it is a I think a a big lightning bolt of a queer show and if that sort of thing interests you then I would stop now and go binge the two seasons and come back (laughs) or if you're like me where I don't care about spoilers at all in fact I love going into shows after hearing people who love the shows talk about them because this is the only show that I have gone back and watched a second time. Wow. And I love it so much more on like season one. I like so much more on the second watch Mm -hmm. because I'm already in love with them. Yeah. The characters. And so, you know, who are we to tell you what to do? If you don't care about spoilers, then come on this ride with us. Yeah. Because if you listen to this, you're actually going to have a ton of background that will really inform your watching. So you decide where you're at. Feel into your body. And make yeah. a decision that's right for you. Okay, so the SAG strike is over. Oh, the yes. writer's strike is over. The SAG strike is over. So now we are freed up to talk about this, which is so great in a you know responsible way. You introduced me to this show. Mm-hmm. And just for anyone out there who because I've I've also proselytized is that the word yes proselytized <laughs> about this show and I've had a couple friends say oh I watched the first episode or two and I didn't get hooked yep. and I am telling you that Robin's enthusiasm around this show <laughs> made me push through that 
slight lull that I mm-hmm. felt at the beginning. I do not watch sitcoms. I'm not a big comic, like short 30 minute episodic watcher. It just has never been a medium that I'm super into. And this show gives me such heart eyes because the cast is fantastic Mm -hmm. because it's so queer. So the reason we are releasing this episode on the third Thursday in November is that we just felt like, okay, what is something that we can do that is going to be comforting and just share all the things that this show has brought to our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just we're just trying to give some comfort out there, whether, you know, this is a day where you're doing all the food prep and you love it and you're so into it, or this is a day where you uh, protest and do not want to have any association with the day. We just thought our love of our flag means death is our offering on this complicated day. Yep. A little lightheartedness and a little joy. And I will say that just because of the subject matter and the time period of this show, themes that are present in Thanksgiving came out of that time period. And it's a complex, nutso time in in history. Okay. I want to learn about it. Yeah. And so I, I did a little research about it about pirates in general, because what I what started happening to me, okay, first of all, I want to address like the thing about the first couple of episodes being a little bit slow. And you're like, is this even a gay show? And like, so I love Reese Darby so much. He's one of my favorite comedians who plays Steed Bonnet. And so when I saw he was going to be a lead in a show, I was like, of course, I'm going to watch every moment of him because I just want to hear his funny little voice. You know, <laughs> and I love the whole comedy style that comes out of New Zealand with, you know, with Taika and and the Flight of the Concords kind of guys. And I, I watch every one of their shows. So when I was watching the show, I wasn't going into it thinking like, oh, this will be a fun queer show. I had no idea. And so it slowly starts to dawn on you what's going on. And that's the great part about the slow burn at the beginning. They do not, I think they knew exactly what they were doing. They ease you into that this is not only a romance between two men. This is about queer community. By the time you get to end of season two, it is everything about how the diversity of the queer community and how free expression of love and one's gender and oneself can form bonds that are, you know, stronger than than blood. Uh, yeah, I have I have a lot of things I want to say about that. Yeah. So, so I want to hold off because I want you to give the history because I don't know anything about the history of pirates. Yeah. Okay. So what led me down this path was just wondering what was actually true or not, right? First of all, I want to acknowledge what was going on at this time period and why pirates of this sort even existed. Pirates are painted as criminals, but they were robbing the colonial powers. What were the colonial powers doing? They were robbing and committing genocide and horrible atrocities all across the Caribbean, the Americas, Africa, everywhere. And so 
massive amounts of money going in this triangular pattern. You have it starting in Europe, going down to Africa, enslaving people, bringing them to the Americas, having them do free, forced, brutal labor, taking those resources from the land and the people that are already there, and then sending it back to Europe. And so that's like the triangle going on. And so the pirates were there because there was a lot of wars happening and then the wars would end and there'd be all these sailors around that have all this experience on ships. And so they'd be like, fuck this, I'm going to go steal what these motherfuckers stole and have it for me. <laughs> now, I think it's it sounds very punk rock. And um, but they were not like by any means like good guys or Robin Hoods or maybe there was a couple of them that cared about that sort of thing. But like, for instance, Blackbeard, his most famous ship was the Queen Anne's Revenge. He stole that ship and it was originally La Concorde, a slaver ship. And it was one of those just gruesome ships where, you know, like they sh those diagrams where they show how they pack people in. Yeah. It was one yeah. of those ships. So there was almost 500 kidnapped people on that board, on that ship. Blackbeard got it. He hired some of them and he hired some of the French sailors that were on there and then left the rest of them on an island. Some of them escaped. Some of them, most of them were recaptured and still sold in the Caribbean, oh, you know? So yeah. it's so like it's complicated. It's complicated. And but one thing that I read that I thought was really interesting is like you hear a lot about Queen Anne's Revenge. Blackbeard had that ship for six months. But La Concorde was owned by a French family. This one French family are responsible for 60 of these shipments over the course of you know, the, the um, transatlantic slave trade, this, I mean, we're talking about about 30,000 people, mm. you know? And so we don't end up hearing about that part of the history of the ship, which affected so many more lives. Like Blackbeard ended up taking Queen Anne's revenge and blockading the Charleston Bay or some shit. He wouldn't let anybody in and out without plundering them. And he wanted a ransom. He blocked it for a week and finally they paid the ransom. And that was like the biggest thing that he did. And I think Steed was involved with it. <laughs> anyway, it's just like pirates are, you know, glorified in this way. But the impact of this ship on human life really happened when it was one of these like fucking brutalist slave ships. Yeah. Wow. Was there like when they set out, because obvious, the thing that I actually love about our flag means death mm -hmm. is it feels like what they did is they pulled a reference that we all kind of know, pirates. Yeah. And then they queered it. I mean, this, the journey that we go on with them, to me, is kind of fantastical realism. Like, yes, I love the world that is created. And I think it works really well because we have some foundational knowledge about like renegade pirates. Right. I didn't have this level of knowledge kind of about the colonial powers and pirates really targeting them, which does, I agree, make them more punk rock. But I think that the show works really well because it is a departure. Like, I'm not regularly asking the question, 
did this actually happen? It doesn't matter to me if it's historically accurate. Whereas like a show like The Great, which I love, I really love that show as well, but it it hears a little bit more closely to the history. So then I find myself asking or like Googling, like, did this actually happen? Yeah. And I never do that with our flag means death. But I am assuming that there is some queer root that this sprouted from. Am I right? Yes. So, okay. Yay. It's not only that they were punk rock, they were rewriting a lot of rules. It was very fucking queer. So the British Navy, for example, they had trouble getting people to volunteer because it was horrible and deadly to go on these ships and everything. And everybody, I mean, they would whip you or kill you. They would do horrible shit if you weren't doing exactly what you were told. So they would go through the streets and round up the young, poor kids, boys, and force them onto these boats. And that's the Navy or these are pirates? That's the Navy. Okay. So up to half of any British naval fleet at that time were called pressed boys, boys that were pushed to go on, and then they're trapped. And so they were constantly running off to be with pirates and shit. They got paid shit, and then the upper um, captains were paid like, you know, the inequality was outrageous. On the pirate boats, they have written pirate codes. How I'm understanding it then is that you have... Uh, young men mm-hmm. that are being forced into these careers, mm-hmm. hazed mm-hmm. and traumatized. Mm-hmm. And then that's the pipeline to piracy. Mm-hmm. So the violence is not new to them, but they're able to redirect that energy in a way that is more advantageous to just their, you know, livelihood, well-being, et cetera. We would have chosen to be pirates if we had a choice. If you're going to choose between working on a British naval ship as a low person and being a low person on a pirate ship, you're much better off. So they had codes of conduct where they would name exactly. The plunder would be like the captain gets two shares and then the people below that get one and a half. Another guy below that gets, you know, one and a quarter. And then everybody else gets a full share. They split all the food evenly. They split all the alcohol. There was one. I'm going to tell you a couple of these. You know, it's like, oh, no gambling. Keep your guns clean. Lights out at eight. If you're staying up, you have to go up on deck. It's like, what the fuck? It's so polite. <laughs> at eight also, it's like they had rules like this. But then there was like all quarrels left on shore. And then they had these elaborate rules for dueling if they couldn't agree before they got in the boat. You know, stuff like that. Extra payout if you got maimed or disabled. They had specific amounts. You get 800 pounds, which is a lot of money at that time if you lost a limb. And there was one that says, and then they can stay on ship as long as they like. So is this like the collective of the time you would have to sign this to be a crew on the ship this is like the workers collective (laughs) yes okay every man has a vote in the affairs of the moment has equal title to fresh provisions or strong liquors at any time seized and may use them at pleasure unless a scarcity makes it necessary for the good of all to vote a retrenchment that seems very fair It's very fair, much more fair than what the royals were doing to people. You know what I mean? But then they had stuff like no kids and women punishable by death if you bring them aboard. So not only was there a lot of gayness going on because there is there is no women around. But if they were around, they were dressed like men. 
So it's even gayer. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like layers of queerness. I want to tell you about this thing. And I'm pulling a lot of this information from Wikipedia. And I'm going to link the other sites that I pulled from that are about like ships and maritime and stuff. I also found a YouTuber that's this kind of like queer feminist history person named Kaz Rowe. Um, and that's at youtube.com slash at Kaz Rowe. It's K-A-Z-R-O-W-E. And we'll have it in the show notes. They do a great thing about queer life with pirates. And it's a fun, it's about an hour and it's and they're great. Okay, so she said, gay men were attracted to pirate life. Gayness was just a fact of life. Everywhere else, it was punishable by death. But in pirate life, it was like, whatever. In fact, they had a form of marriage that had a name. It was called... <laughs> Matelotage. Matelotage? Matelotage. It's a oh. French word. It comes from the word matelots, which means seaman or sailor. And that's where the word matey and mate comes from. Oh. So when Lucius and Black Pete get married, that is matelotage. And they would do it not on Bibles, but like on a skull or a weapon or whatever. And they would make up their own rules. So when you're watching this show, there's a number of things that were true, including the queerness. So that's what blew my mind is where I was like, okay, all right. All right so I'm just going to read you this. Metalatage was a sailor civil union, an agreement between pairs of sailors, in particular buccaneers and pirates in the 17th and early 18th century. In some cases, metalatage was affectionate, even fraternal. In others, it was romantic and sexual. But regardless of the nature of each relationship, pirates took the bonds of metalatage very seriously. As part of this economic partnership, metalatats would agree to share their incomes, inherit their partner's property in the case of their death. They would pledge to protect and fight alongside each other in battle and otherwise act in each other's best interest. Oh my gosh. Like, is this what we need to be tapping into with queer marriage? Is yeah. The pirate roots. Is this what Andrea and I need to do is we need to have a pirate wedding? Yes. Yes. And we have to learn how to properly say this word <laughs> or come up with a croissant version of mate latage. All right. So listen to this Tortuga, which I am calling the Fire Island of the 1640s. This is the very beginning of piracy, which is when they would call them buccaneers. So that's the difference between buccaneers and pirates is they had like boats that were called bucks or some shit. And so they call them buccaneers, but those are the early pirates. And then in the 1700s, early 1700s is kind of the golden age with Blackbeard and all that stuff. I know so much now. It's crazy. Okay. <laughs> Around 1640 on the island of Tortuga, this is in the Caribbean, there was a pirate stronghold that openly accepted same-sex relationships among pirates. The Tortuga buccaneers were free to exhibit their intimate relationships with other men openly, which upset the governor of Tortuga. And probably he also didn't like all of the pirates in the pirating. So in 1645, the governor wrote to France asking them to send, quote, undesirable ladies from the French prison system to Tortuga. His hope was that the arrival of these women would cause the pirates to be enticed to leave their pillaging ways and settle down and start farming and like cultivating the land and all this stuff. So they sent 2,000 French prisoner women 
<laughs> and the hopes of neutralizing the homosexuality. So how do you think that went, Sarah? I'm so curious to find out. <laughs> well, the plan backfired when the pirates and the prison ladies actually had a lot in common, like not giving two shits about what the government wants. <laughs> and they started forming poly marriages. They were integrated into the metalletages. So now we have bisexual polycules. <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> I am wondering if you were perhaps a pirate in a past life. <laughs> maybe this whole, you know, existence that we had before this where we were connected. Mm -hmm. Maybe this was uh, in piracy. Maybe I should start <laughs> calling you Captain <laughs> instead of Daddy. Okay, so this led me down. Which of these characters in the show were real? Oh, Okay. We know that Blackbeard and Steed are real, and I'll give you a brief yep. history of them. But I would like to start with the ladies. I looked up Spanish Jackie, for example. Mm -hmm. There is mm -hmm. no actual written stuff, but there is oral history around Jacot de la... I just, I don't know. I am... Um, Delahaye. It's all French, okay? So she was in this early period of the Buccaneers, and she was mixed race. She was Haitian and French. She was a war hero. So we know that she was already going and dressing like a man as a soldier. She led a gang of hundreds of pirates and with her help took over Tortuga. It was called the Freebooter Republic when she was in charge of it. Okay, so that's Spanish Jackie. Hellcat Maggie She's a very small character. She's part of Ned Lowe's crew. And she's the woman who's threatening to, like, torture Steed. And then when he is complimenting yes. her uh, skills. Yes. Yes. And yeah, he yeah. says, what a lovely name when she tells her name, Hellcat Maggie. And I was like, that's a bit specific. So I looked it up. Hellcat Maggie, now this is much later, 1820 to 1845. She, was, she died at 25, basically. But she was part of the gangs of New York. All right? Oh. Let me read you this description. Hellcat Maggie was the pseudonym of an American outlaw, an early member of the Dead Rabbits. <laughs> that was their gang name. That's fucking punk rock. Okay. She was a well-known personality in Manhattan's Five Points District and a noted fighter. Her teeth reportedly filed into points and her fingers adorned with long claw-like brass fingernails. <laughs> the fuck? What the fuck? Anyway, I was just like, she's got brass claws and filed teeth anyway that's hellcat maggie so they're they're pulling from different parts of this kind of like pre-industrial era but fuck hellcat maggie's crazy okay Anne bonnie right so we see mary reed and Anne bonnie at a certain point you know they have a shop this super kinky couple so they really were a couple but so Anne bonnie was partnered with calico jack and I feel like they did Calico Jack dirty in the show. His character was such a short device, but he's actually a very interesting, like they had a thruple, basically. Mm. So Anne Bonnie met Calico Jack on Nassau, which is the Republic of Pirates at the time of Blackbeard and everything. They met, 
super into each other. So Anne starts dressing like a boy or a man to get onto the ship to be with Calico, who's the captain of the ship. When they're on the boat, Bonnie starts getting really into this one guy that's on the boat. And so Bonnie reveals to him that she's actually a woman. And it turns out that that man that she's falling in love with is Mary Reed. And she's like, hey, I'm a woman too. (laughs) What? 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 (laughs) So then Calico, Jack is like, fucking great. And so then the three of them stole a new ship from the Republic of Pirates and then sailed around Jamaica for like two years, just robbing people. They got a new crew that was down with the whole thing. (laughs) Like... This is what I mean. It's like as a pirate, you could live a little, you know, outside of the laws, you know, and people were just making their shit up. I mean, there was laws and there's rules and there's culture, but it was just so very different from other, what other people are doing. And so this is what one woman who was a victim of Bonnie and Reed said about them. They wore men's jackets and long trousers and handkerchiefs tied about their heads. And each of them had a machete and a pistol in their hands. And they cursed and swore at the men. (laughs) Okay, Pirate Queen. True. She's the most successful pirate in pirate history. She married a pirate. He died. She took it over and expanded it and made it way more aggressive. She was fighting the East Indian um, company, the Portuguese Empire, and she fought against the Qing Dynasty. Hmm. Her pirate confederation, composed of a fleet of 400 junks, which is that style of boat that we see Pirate Queen has, and between 40,000 and 60,000 pirates at her command. Wow. She, like, she gave full-on royal governments a run for their money and eventually made a deal with the Qing dynasty to let her retire with a whole bunch of money and a bunch of her boats. And she lived to be 68 as the proprietor of an infamous gambling house. What the fuck? (laughs) So this was in the 1800s, though. So she never crossed over with the other ones. Izzy, can we talk about the real Israel hands? Okay. Sure. He was second in command to um, Blackbeard. They had two ships and Izzy was in charge of one of them. Do you know how old he was? No idea. 16. He was 16 or 17 years old when he was commanding a ship with Blackbeard. (laughs) And Blackbeard really did shoot him in the leg, but it was an accident. He was trying to shoot somebody else. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Okay. Ed and Steed, a lot of it's really true. The way that they met, Steed did have a library on his boat. He did pay for it. He did leave his marriage. He had an inherited a sugar plantation on um, Barbados. So Steed was a slave owner, but he left it all and became a pirate. And he was terrible at it, just like in in the show. He didn't know how to do anything and they were going to mutiny on him. But then they got attacked by the Spanish and he was recovering at the Republic of Pirates when he met Blackbeard. And, And then he let Blackbeard take over his ship because he was recovering. And then he just let Blackbeard be in charge for a long time. And then, yeah, and then they eventually ended their relationship. But it was like, it's all because of that, that the creator of the show saw that and was like, what was going on there? Well, that feels like the kind of magical realism space that we go into of like, 
here's a little piece of information of these two historical figures who Mm -hmm. interacted at one point. And now let's just fill in the blanks Mm -hmm. with what it feels like to me is that the show is informed by a current cultural context Yes, where we all need and want a rewriting of queer history. Yes. Yes. You know, and some representation. And so this is such a genius way to do it mm-hmm. of filling in the blanks in this super queer way. And what you were saying earlier about, you know, the first couple episodes, like the queerness not being mm-hmm. really apparent at first. I was laughing in my rewatching of season one because I wanted to get refreshed because you are way more immersed (laughs) in the um, Our Flag Means Death world than I am. And I laughed at myself. I don't know if it's episode five where Steed takes Blackbeard onto Mm -hmm. the ship with the upper class bourgeois passive aggressors <laughs> yes the pa- <laughs> massive aggression yeah. no no passive <laughs> aggression <laughs> and then steed fixes his pocket square and says something really sweet to him like sometimes i can tell you exactly what he says what does he say you wear fine things well yes okay so in my first watching of mm-hmm. Our Flag Means Death season one, that was the first moment where I was like, oh, wait, they're going to have a romance? Okay. And I felt so silly, but that's how my brain works is it's like until it's really apparent, I don't see it. And so it was just that like my heart expanded like three times the size, right? In that moment of being like, oh, they're going to have a romance. That happened with me. And do you know how else, who else it happened to? The actor who plays Izzy. So I saw an interview with him and he was talking about it was at that moment because his character was watching that happen. But the actual actor, they don't they didn't get the scripts ahead of time, you know, and so they're like processing what they're doing each episode as an actor. And, oh, and so wow. he specifically cited that moment and quoted that line and was like, that's when I realized that there is something really special about this show. So you're oh. not the only one. And you know what else? I saw this great interview. I think it was the same interview where it was um, the actors who play Lucius, Jim, Izzy, and Steed were all there. Okay. And they were talking about their experience getting hired onto the show, getting casted and everything. Every single one of them, except for Reese Darby, who plays Steed, thought that they were going to be the token queer character. And so when they showed up on set, so Lucius thought he's like, I thought it was going to be my job to like roll my eyes and be sassy. Like I always play. Vico, who plays Jim, was like, I thought I was going to be the one non-binary, you know, character, the only queer character as usual, you know. Oh, and they had the person who plays uh, Wee John. Uh Uh-huh. They are actually a queer person who DJs and does drag and has been out, you know, before Game of Thrones and like all of the stuff and is like just this, you know, six foot ten, very queer person. And so like they thought they were going to be the queer person on the show. And then... Reese Darby was talking about, he was like, when I put on the outfit for Steed, 
And then I knew I was going to go out on set. He was like, I am the gayest. Like, I, no one's going to be gayer than me. I'm going to be the pinnacle <laughs> of gay on this show. And then he steps out and he's like, oh, nope, nope, guess not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it was like, as a group, they realized how gay the show was over time, which I think is yeah, just amazing. So great. Well, so I have multiple times where I gasped or screamed at the television. That was one of them that you wear fine things well because that was the moment you realize okay when they finally kiss at the end Mm -hmm. of season one I -hmm. was just like they actually did it they actually did it it's not just you know and that was enough but then season two when you see what Blackbeard's whole crew looks like when Jim now has the mohawk Archie Mm -hmm. is fucking added to the situation when when Jim and Archie kissed I lost my mind Ugh, um, okay. But the thing that blew me away that I really just like screamed at the television and will still cry whenever I see it is when Steed rescues Blackbeard from under the water as a mermaid. I couldn't fucking believe it. It's the gayest imagery I've ever seen. Like I was crying and screaming like I couldn't believe that they went for like, I'm. it's astronomically gay. And so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Like, I loved it so much. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, there's two moments and then I want to work back a little bit Mm -hmm. because there's some, there are some things that I think that they queer really well. Mm -hmm. So masculine expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that they uh, deal with class Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way and something that is also really queer but the steed mermaid blackbeard death moment mm-hmm. and calypso's birthday oh, yes are the oh. two moments from season two where you just they are like massive explosions of queer joy and imagery and Everything in those moments is so gay. And you were saying about the actor who plays Wee John being a queer DJ performer. I felt in Calypso's birthday when Wee John gets into drag, Mm -hmm. it was just like... Finally, I didn't I didn't know that I was waiting for and needing Wee John in drag and Izzy singing, serenading. Oh, so and getting in touch with the feminine, like in the softness. I have a whole thing that I would like to do about Izzy. I hated Izzy the first season. I was like, can we kill him already? Let's talk a little bit about masculine expression in okay. this show because okay. I think that that'll get us to Izzy because I it is not unknown to you that I really <laughs> struggle with men. Mhm. Mhm. So the fact that I love a show that season one is almost exclusively yep. about men. I mean, mm-hmm. I really like Steed's wife's character and yes. I like the journey that they take her on. And I so appreciate that she gets to be an artist and yes. the way that they kill him is so, so brilliant. It's wonderful. You know, and yes. the whole time I'm like, get back to Blackbeard. But in the first season, 
you get so many amazing representations of masculinity. Yes. yes. And you know what's hysterical is Jim at the start of the show is held up as the ideal yep. man mm-hmm. on the ship. Mm-hmm. And so like it's just so queer and fantastic. Yep. One of the moments that made me gasp and cry as well that was extraordinarily wonderfully queer was when they give Izzy his unicorn leg. I died. Yeah. Yeah. So I am just going to describe to you and please interject and tell me all of your thoughts. The process that Izzy goes through, because my theory is that Izzy starts as the representation of toxic masculinity yeah, I mean, I think you've got a couple talks, like, because you've got Pete also, who's posturing. So, like, yes. on Steed's ship, you've got, like, Jim, who's upheld as, like, the mm-hmm. model man. Yes. You've got, Steed is so gentle in comparison. Then you've got Pete, who's, like, really posturing yep. as That's a true. man. It is, like, I am wearing man suit. But then they introduce Izzy. And Izzy is violent. Mm -hmm. He's toxic. Mm -hmm. And he like, I mean, basically his second scene, he does all the fancy sword work. Mm -hmm. So he's also very skilled. So yeah, he is man's man. Yes. And my theory is that Izzy is in love with Blackbeard. Yes, I agree. But he doesn't know how to get to Blackbeard's heart, right? I don't think he is conscious of being in love with Blackbeard either. Right. I don't think it's allowed in his mind. Yeah. Although this is what's great about the show is that it's like they just removed homophobia. There's special moments. I think that they do this on purpose and it's very subtle where like there is the moment where Jim and Archie are kissing after fucking cutting off Izzy's leg. Okay, and they have a gross, bloody, wonderful, super sexy kiss. And then Blackbeard busts open the door and he's like, what's going on in here? And I think they did that on purpose as this thing of like, I caught you doing like homo shit, you know, but really it's that they caught them hiding Izzy from him is what he's referring to. And so mm-hmm. and there's a couple moments like that that happen where you think that they're going to go into like the typical homophobia struggle that people have to fight against, but it's just not present. Once Izzy kind of does like this weird thing where he's like, daddy, like making fun of, I think it was Black Pete and Lucius being together. And everybody just looks at him like, what, what the fuck are you doing? You big weirdo. In the moment when they catch, so season one, Lucius gets out of having to scrub the barnacles yes. by offering <sighs> to Fang. You know, paint you like a, a, a French lady. And then Izzy catches them. Uh-huh. I mean, he's he's pissed initially that he's not doing the task, but then he sees what's happening and he's horrified, yeah. right? And everybody on the ship is like, yeah, yeah, he's drawn me too. Yeah. You, when are you going to get drawn? <laughs> yeah. Izzy does serve as that quote unquote straight man yeah. on a few different, you know, levels because he is the foil to all the gayness yes. that is around. And by the end, he's gone on a journey. I think it's important to, the things that he goes through. So he gets jealous of Steed because he's got Blackbeard's attention and affection yeah, so easily and he does it with 
feminine. I, I don't know how to say it. It's like, not that he's feminine, but you know. He's done it with gentleness. With gentleness and yeah, all that. So that causes Izzy to dial up his toxic masculinity towards uh-huh. Steed to get rid of him. But it backfires. He gets kicked off the ship. So he dials it up another notch and snitches on them, right? And then he ends up getting Blackbeard back right before he's going to get mutinied for being an asshole because Steed ditched him, ditched Blackbeard, you know. So once he gets him back, he's leaning into the toxicity again, right? And trying to get Blackbeard because at first Blackbeard is really sad and he's wearing his robe and he has his hair down, you know, Mm -hmm. and he's doing baby Blackbeard and sensitive Blackbeard and Izzy's like not having it. And Izzy is the one that provokes him. Izzy is friend-zoned. Yes, definitely. He's in the classic friend-zone straight man role. Yes. So he does the only thing he knows how to do, and he pushes Blackbeard to lean into the toxicity. Because yeah. obviously the softness didn't work. It fucked you over. But I'm here for you. you know? And you know, the violence of the beginning of season it's rough. two was... I was like, oh, y'all are taking it to a point where I might not love Blackbeard again. I thought the same thing. And that's really hard because I love Taika so much. and But I love that character. And when we're done talking about Izzy's arc, I want to talk about Blackbeard's. Yeah. It's a very metaphorical show in a way. You know, it's like the literalness of it, I think, is, you know. But anyway, so finally the toxicity is too much. But the thing that gets Izzy to speak up is when his friends intervene. Fang gives him that big hug and he's like, this isn't good. Izzy realizes he has to do what Steed did and he brings up, let's talk about it. Sends Blackbeard over the edge and he gets shot and Izzy goes through his death, which Blackbeard goes through later and he is reborn, right? Yeah. That is the turning point. And it is the sapphic members of the crew that cut off his leg and alter his body, right? And then he's struggling. He doesn't know how what to do. And so it is his community of the crew that gives him the leg, that sees him and accepts him for who he is and gives him support. They give him literally a leg to stand on. The community yeah. literally supports him. With a fucking unicorn lake. Are you kidding me? It's so good. I have chills. Okay. And the way that they use the unicorn leg through the rest of the season, too, is so fantastic. Like, every time there's a bit with the unicorn leg, I laughed. Yeah. I laughed. Yeah. Yeah. And then now he's using it to spin around to do sword fighting. I'm going to flourish. I'm going to put out all these candles at once. (laughs) You know, so now I think this is when Izzy is no longer toxic masculinity and he's in his daddy era. Yes. And this is the positive queer masculine energy. Right. And so he's cheered by his community when he shows his whole self, when his face is beat, when he's singing his soft, heartfelt song, which I actually think they made a, I, I didn't like it that they had Ned Lowe interrupt that because that happens so much. I'm like, they should have let it play out and then 
have it. Hit. This was, I felt like a real, really poignant though. I was mad about it as well. Yeah. But I actually think it is, it symbolizes queer joy being interrupted. Yeah. I don't think it's like most shows that are trying to do queer representation, but don't quite get it. And they interrupt queer joy or ruin it in a way that is like, why can't you let us have this? Right. To me, it felt like this is symbolizing. Yeah. This is a commentary on the reality. Mm -hmm. This is where the current context comes in. Mm -hmm. This is the harsh reality is that this is often how it plays out. That like you get a moment to revel, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's still like the world is trash. Yeah. And the, the nice thing is they still finish the party after all that yes. business is done. And the Ned Lowe interruption was one of the sub-themes that I love in the show that I actually feel like is a little bit of current context creeping in hmm. is Steed's leadership. Mm-hmm. Like he's a bumbling idiot as a pirate, mm-hmm. but he's actually a fantastic heart-led leader. Yes. And that moment, he gets them out of that situation, not by being a good pirate. Mm-hmm. With emotional but, intelligence. Yes. And recognizing Hellcat Maggie's yes. skills. And he's like, she's a person. Yeah. So whenever <laughs> he has a success, it's in this very gentle steed mm-hmm. way where you just can't help but love him right that part when blackbeard's coaching him on how to have a stern voice it's like i'm a <laughs> captain you do what i tell you i'm like oh i love it so much it's like you're good yeah. dom you're doing good you're doing good <laughs> uh so finally izzy finds community and himself and offers only love and forgiveness to blackbeard on his deathbed yeah. And so that's the full arc of Izzy, which shocked me. I hated him at the beginning. He's my favorite. Mm-hmm. It was a slow burn and slow it was burn. worth, it. worth I it. I think that they knew where they were going with him and the ride was great. And his sacrifice for the greater good mm-hmm. was really sacrificing for the man he loved mm-hmm. and for him to be able to have happiness. So that total non-attachment of like, yeah. you know, even if it's not going to be me, ultimately, I want you to thrive. That's how it felt to me. Well, in in the community at large, like when he describes to that that prince why he'll never be a pirate and why they're pirates and what pirates means, mm-hmm. you could replace like queer or queer community in yes. there. And he nails it on the fucking head you know and it's so good and I actually think that to bring it around to the history that we were talking about I do think that there's a level that that must have been happening at the time on these ships it's like you're spending so much time with these like 50 other men and you have created your own rules you know you're you have this semi-egalitarian very like racially mixed just making up new rules around sexuality that you would get killed for on land. And I see the connection now between pirates and queerness mm-hmm. metaphorically, but also literally. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, yeah, okay. The other mm-hmm. character arc that I think really takes two seasons mm-hmm. and is worth it 
is Blackbeard. Yes, yep. And like, of course, I love all of the supporting characters. I loved in season two that they brought in the pirate queen and Auntie. Yes. I was like, yes, oh, I loved really Auntie. missing. It's really, really missing female yep. strength aside from you know a couple in the the first season and so I was like ah good good correction because I wasn't mad at them for all the men in season one but I think had it not diversified a little bit and for them to be exploring power through some female characters yeah and that there's literal historical people to draw from like the pirate queen is fucking real it drives me crazy the most yeah. successful pirate of all time was a woman. So suck it. What is that saying behind every successful woman is another successful woman? Right. <laughs> so, like, right. Auntie. And yeah, Auntie. Yeah. I was like, is there yeah. a way if I can find out if Auntie was real? Yeah. But I was like, I don't even know how to begin that. Ugh, I loved her, Auntie. Yeah, they were so fantastic. And I loved that Olu finally had a like it it made it so seamless and poly and wonderful that Jim is off having this like hot relationship and then he gets one too and I I loved that he's the perfect lesbian boyfriend you know like there's that guy that always hooks the lesbians because they're soft yes Yes. And have you noticed that Olu wears Crocs? <laughs> no. I noticed that like after like my third viewing of season two, I was like, is that motherfucker wearing Crocs? But that's what I, I do want to just mention the clothing quickly. The way they mix contemporary clothes. I saw a thing where Taika said that his Blackbeard outfit was based on Tama Finland drawings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yep. of course. Oh, I mean, well, I'm sure if you've been listening, you know <laughs> that Andrea and I went as Steed and Blackbeard last year. And it was so fun to help Andrea create that Blackbeard yes. costume oh. because it's just like... There's so much good stuff. It was way easier to create her costume than it was to create mine because Mm -hmm. there's so many contemporary pieces that we could use for hers. But, you know, I mean, I crush so hard on Blackbeard. Mm -hmm. Do you like him better with long beard or short beard? You know, I thought season one beard is a little too curly. I like the shorter beard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And that kind of beard like moves with the face a lot. You know? <laughs> like, wow, that's like its own yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. I think I got so immersed in the world mm-hmm. that it wasn't until I went back and rewatched season one that I realized, oh, his journey to being an innkeeper Mm-hmm. starts from his not his first appearance because you see him in steeds like glossy you know like it's like yeah. fuzzy yeah. <laughs> Vaseline on the screen which is also brilliant owed to you know the early 70s gay porn <laughs> but from the first moments you learn about his character mm-hmm. which I hadn't picked up first watching is that he's drawn to steed because Steed represents this kind of aspirational personal growth and leveling up mm-hmm. for Blackbeard. Yeah. He has it like a deep boredom with his work from the moment he meets Steed. And he doesn't start imagining abandoning piracy right away. Mm-hmm. But it becomes such a natural progression because you learn about his childhood mm-hmm. and 
his mom saying like, no, no, we're not the kind of people who Mm -hmm. have fine things. That's left to God. God gets to decide that. Mm -hmm. And he has from, you can tell from an early age, like a yearning for something that is really outside of what his class and his status in life is. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's why for me, even though they took me to the brink with the violence Mm -hmm. where I was like, I might never love him again, where I was able to reconnect with him because he goes through this death, Mm -hmm. like a literal death and he ends up in purgatory. And then it's his original pirate boss captain, which was real life. Yeah. Hornigold's real. Yeah who was there with him and it's like, Oh, this kind of masculinity, this kind of leadership is not what I want. And he starts trying to role play being an innkeeper. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because of all of Blackbeard's daddy issues, he, mm-hmm. can't, he eventually yep. fucking loses it and kill thinks he's killing him. Right. But that draw to this life that Steed can offer him yeah. is so compelling. And I think it's really beautifully told over two seasons mm-hmm. where I cannot wait to see. I mean, obviously, season three, they're going to get roped back into some piracy. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to be totally imperfect. Like, he's going to still have that violent culture within him Mm -hmm. but I'm so excited to see what happens and how they are saying that they're gonna end after season three (sighs) that they only have the arc of the story is three seasons so I'm really curious to see the ways in which Steed particularly Blackbeard, and then in relationship with each other, they're challenged now that they actually have the thing that Mm -hmm. the two of them are probably really meant to do together. Well, I think there's a there's a couple of things like Steed is also doing that with Blackbeard, where Steed is trying to imagine himself as being able to do the things that Blackbeard can do. Right. But what they really touch on with like making Blackbeard so gnarly, those first two episodes of season two, I think getting to that point where I think it's with Hornigold when he's in purgatory, he goes into, I'm not, I'm not lovable. And in that kind of psychological move that has happened to so many of us where it's like, you suspect you're not lovable because of the way you were treated as a child. And then you go into relationship with someone you think that maybe they do love you and then they do something like what Steed did and it breaks your heart. And then you're like, I am not lovable. Well, Mm -hmm. then I'm just going to show you how not lovable I can be. Do you still not love me? How fucked up can I be? And, you know, and it goes into this other area that I I feel like is super, super relatable And I think that's part of why they sent him so far down is so that he could be pulled up and seen as lovable just because he is, you know? Right. And the seeds of that feeling are definitely there before we get to season two. Because he says it in season one that he's a lot of questioning. Yeah. Yeah. He'll say like, 
my kind and things like, you know, like it's not just about his status as a pirate. Mm-hmm. He's the ultimate symbol of pirate. Yeah. And so it's sort of baked in and he's grappling with that a lot of yeah. like, can I have access to these things? And the the magic of Steed, I think, in, in what he brings to his crew is like, I don't know if you remember some of the moments where he like introduces concepts like vacation. Yeah. Vacation, retirement. Yes. And so like, and he's got books and he's got Mm -hmm. the nice fabrics and he's bringing the pleasures of the ruling class. Yeah. And the inherent value that you are raised with, right? Like Mm -hmm. it does feel like a class division that's happening there where when you aren't having to scrape and steal and kill and do all these Mm -hmm. things just to make your general just to survive yeah you inherently believe you have some more worth yes and what steed has the capacity to do is share that worth and those pleasures with everybody around him and everyone's sort of glitching yeah. Except Blackbeard is drawn to it like a magnet. Yeah. And do you know, Steed, real life, did pay them wages, which was unheard of. And he did read to them from his books. And there's documentation of like one sailor coming upon their ship and seeing him in a silk dressing gown, <laughs> sipping tea. I'm thinking that he's a woman. <laughs> I don't, they didn't say that, but I was just like, yeah, it's weird. The little things that are in there. Blackbeard would tie fuses to his hat and light them on fire. So that whole thing of his head being made of smoke, he would Uh do that. And he would also, it's not in any of the pictures, but there's multiple accounts of him tying bows into his beard. (laughs) The fuck? I think we have to give the mermaid moment. I think we have to go back to it and Mm -hmm. maybe we can end on that. Yes. Because it was so beautiful. Yes. And you were describing what an impact it had on you. And I wanted to read something to you about what the creator, David Jenkins, had to say about this moment. And the song that plays there is (sighs) Kate Bush, The Woman's Work. Like, just to put another layer of gay on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. To put a layer yeah. of, like, feminist on it also. It's just, oh, it's so delicious. It's like I can barely stand it. Yeah, it's so good. And some of the lyrics, it's about woman's worth, the struggle of women in relationship. There's a masculine and a feminine mm-hmm. figure in that song. And, like, she's singing to him, like, I know you've got a little life in you left. I know you've got a lot of strength left. I know you've got a little life in you left. I should be crying, but I just can't let it show. I should be hoping, but I can't stop thinking. All the things we should have said that are never said. All the things we should have done that we never did. All the things we should have given, but I didn't. (sighs) Oh, darling, make it go. Make it go away. So it's like this. Oh, it's so it's such a perfect song. But so this is what David Jenkins said. I wanted this woman's work for that sequence and made sure that I'd cleared it 
And then we scripted that to time code and just really spent a lot of time on that sequence. I feel joy when I see Reese come out of the darkness underwater as Mm. a person. I think to be dying and in purgatory and hear the voice of the person who loves you and have them pull you back and appear as a mythical creature. We talked about it in the room. We just all loved it immediately. And then when they got onto set, (laughs) Darby, this is a quote, Darby was a little bit like, guys, um, I, this is in the mermaid costume. I, I don't. And then he got it on and he was like, ah, I look pretty good in this. Don't I? (laughs) Yeah. That they actually, I thought it was some, it was like computer animated. And and then I saw behind the scenes, uh, scenes of Reese sitting in his mermaid tail on the edge of a pool. And I was like, you guys, you're killing me. They shot underwater. He was really, that's really him with one of those fabulous mermaid fins on. Like it kills me uh, so hard that I I get teary eyed every time. I have chills from you talking about it. It is such an iconic queer moment. I just think it's going to live on mm-hmm. that visual scene, the mute, the Kate Bush song, mm-hmm. the two actors, the relationship that they built through the series. Oh, it's just so good. Mm. It's beautiful. It's, it really is. And it's complex and it's there's an endless depth to this. And I, I would love to spend time on like every character. I, I could talk forever about Jim. Jim's like my big celebrity crush right now. Vico Ortiz is killing me. Yeah, I'm so happy now that all the behind the scenes stuff is getting released and you get to just deep dive. Yeah, I have something else to the world of our flag means death. And we are we were able now to start up our our flag means death kissing series on tiktok so we've got a number of them up now go to our tiktok at fuck yeah pod to see the compilation that robin has pulled together for you all it's beautiful it's a wonderful ode to the series and just i mean i'm sure they're listening Anyone involved in making our flag means death. Thank you so much for your gift to the world. I love it. We appreciate it deeply. It's it's meaningful. It's very meaningful. It really is. And thank you for introducing me to the show. Oh, well, you're very welcome. So we hope you all at home are taking care of yourself as the holiday season starts to ramp up. If you have not watched our flag mean death, and it, or if you have not watched it twice, <laughs> do yourself a favor. Or if you're having a hard moment, go in the bathroom, look up the mermaid scene. Yes. And it'll, it'll improve your mood, give you a little serotonin or dopamine or whatever gets released and you can get back in there, <laughs> get back in the game. And we'll be back next week with a guest and back on to our regularly scheduled programming. Thank you, as always, for coming on this ride with us. Please subscribe. Leave us a review. It would mean a lot to us. And find us on social, at FuckYeahPod, on TikTok, Instagram. You could even consider emailing us. Give us guest suggestions. Tell us your favorite Our Flag Means Death moment. Or a queer show that we haven't heard of. 
Yes, please. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you. Fuck yeah. Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tomchesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.